in this, Paul is in front of Agrippa, and there's a certain point where he says, uh, you know, wow, even me, as I listen to what you have to share, I almost am willing to become a Christian. Almost even I would hear. Well, uh, yesterday I went to my office and I got there uh, about 10.30 and there was, I had understood the meeting was a little later than that and walked into my room and I closed the door and was trying to be very quiet because there was a meeting going on outside. Little did I know that that was the meeting I had actually come to. So I sat in my office working on some other things, which was really time well spent, by the way, for a couple of hours. And um, I would have to say I was almost in the meeting because I was about distance-wise maybe 10 meters away uh, at most. Um, so, you know, but sometimes almost is not good enough. But certainly I'm allowing uh, the people in that committee to see uh, patience with me. Then I'm also providing patience this morning, as you can see, with the usage of the microphone. So, you know, I'm a great patience teacher. It's not intentional, but it's there. When I look at Esther's story, though, and the one that we're going to be looking at today. Patience, everything is in his hands. Basically, all that saying is, don't worry so much. Take it easy. You know, I'm very bad about this. Uh, I like to work with uh, strategy and direction and purpose and planning. And then when things get rough along the way, uh, like the, when the microphone goes up or down, you know, I get a little bit trying to figure out how I can make it better. I'm always involved in that kind of a thought pattern. But the, the truth is, ultimately, it'll all work out okay. God is in charge. And when I look at Esther's story, uh, we saw last week, as a quick review, we saw a woman who was very um, beautiful, uh, very intelligent, um, an individual who was uh, bold, uh, courageous, uh, was willing to make quick decisions and make right decisions, was very dependent on God for leadership. And we also saw a woman who uh, found advice from Mordecai, her uncle. So uh, there are a lot of things in there that we can learn when it comes to things and events going on around you. What you learn is very much... Uh, important in life. Sometimes we learn the wrong lesson. Sometimes we learn the right one. Uh, Esther was a Jew who had revealed, uh, did not reveal her ethnicity until a certain time. And she was very careful about that. In chapters 1 to 4, we saw how Haman had plotted to kill the Jewish people because in history, there had been a, a fight and a relationship problem between the Jews and the Agagites. And they were mortal enemies. Uh, Haman attempted to uh, manipulate King Xerxes into making uh, a decree, and he did get the decree officially made, to have all of the Jews eliminated and killed. And uh, he was, said he would pay a, a significant fee to the king, and the king thought it was worth it all and thought it was worth doing this. And it was all begun in his own thinking. I'm talking about it, Haman's thinking, because he kept seeing this guy named Mordecai a Jew who would not bow down to him. Haman knew he was the number two position in the whole nation, should be getting the respect of everybody, but he didn't get the respect of Mordecai. And it then began to remind him that all Jews were the mortal enemy of the Agagites. And he said, if we just get rid of all of them, 
then we will do something well. And then we finally see uh, Esther in chapter 4, verse 16, where she reaches a point that she understands that there's a terrible plot that has been uh, made uh, to have the uh, Jews all killed. And she says, if I perish, I perish. Now, what that means is there was a law that said, basically, you did not go before the king unless the king invited you in. And the situation there was one where he had not invited her, but she went and made herself available to be able to get in to see the king. And unless he held out his scepter and said, come in, she could have been in major trouble. And indeed, the term, if I perish, I perish, would have been applicable. Our challenge for us, for the cause of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do? Um... If, if you were given an opportunity to sacrifice your life, and by sacrificing your life it meant all of the people in Vancouver could come to know Christ, could find eternal life, could understand their purpose and their meaning and their direction, but you would have to sacrifice yourself for that to happen. How would you respond? Would you take the action that's necessary? You know, I find that for Christians, we even have difficulty going into a mall and talking to someone about Christ. We get nervous praying in front of other people sometimes. It's amazing the things that we as Christians find ourselves feeling uncomfortable about. And yet, if our world is going to know us as being salt and light, we have got to become more brave. This woman risked her life in order to save people. I think somehow we have, in our world today, lightened up the value of salvation. We have lightened up the value of what Jesus did for you and for me by coming into this world, sacrificing himself for our sins. If he could do something that important, Surely, we could do something that would help us to uh, stretch our lives into more value than what we often do. Uh, at a meeting in Zhengzhou a number of years ago, well, not too many years ago, actually, I met with a, a pastor at Zheng. When I went to meet with Pastor Zheng, we um, hadn't seen each other, I guess, in nearly a year. And he, we met in a hotel, and this is a very, uh, very typical uh, house church pastor. His background was pretty um, country, but he was uh, working with a, a large network that had a population of three million within it. And he was the top leader, he still is, of this particular network of house churches. And um, he's a very, very likable guy, knows many, many uh, churches around the nation, and has been working with this network of churches for a number of years now. But when we, we walked in and, and went into this hotel room to talk, he had a friend with him that I didn't recognize. And so we began to talk and, and discuss how we could do some partnering on uh, training uh, within the, the particular province where we were. And uh, I told him that I had some people in another province who could come up and do some training for them there, and then they could do this. But I had also brought a friend with me. And so there was a certain point where um, uh, Pastor Zung said, let's go over here to the side and talk for a few minutes. 
And as we were talking, he said, I want to explain to you who this guy is that's with me. And I said, yeah, I would very much like to know. He said, he's a guy who's just gotten out of prison about five days ago. And he said the reason he was in prison was because of working with different networks to set up training and teaching. Well, that was why I was there. And believe me, when you're wearing the camouflage I'm wearing, it's not that helpful in China. And so it would have been very easy to note that this white guy had gone in this room with a group of Chinese. So it's always a little bit nerve-wracking when you do those kinds of meetings. But as I was talking with my friend about it, he said, no, 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 you have to understand, he's very good at what he does, and he's very committed. He said he is not afraid of going back to prison in any way. You know, when we, when we think about the lives that we have, we have to ask ourselves how dependent we are on God with the activity of our lives daily. As we look at Esther and Mordecai today, I hope we will allow their lives to speak to us. This particular book is not that complicated to read, but it does challenge us in many ways. If we look at chapter 5 today, this is where we're beginning. Chapter 5 of this is beginning with a banquet. It begins uh, with uh, Haman, and, uh, his, who is the number two man, and the king being invited to go to a large banquet that's offered by Esther. She is the queen, is uh, very, very polite to set up this banquet and uh, invite these people in. And so Haman went, and Haman was always struggling with ego. He was always struggling with how important he was. He was always struggling with how people saw him. That's also something we need to ask ourselves some questions about whether we ever have that habit. But he was always concerned about those issues. And so he went to the banquet, got to the banquet, and all the queen did was eventually say, i tell you what, we like these banquets. I'm going to do another one. Why don't you come to another one? Well, Haman was very complimented by that. Wow, this is great. One of the most beautiful women in the whole of the country who has invited me in. We've had these hours together and these great meals, and she's asking me back. I must be important. I must be important. So he said, yeah, this is great. So he's dancing out the door when he goes out. He's so happy. He walks away, and he and the king are leaving, knowing they're coming back for another banquet. Life is good. Everything looks perfect. But Haman goes on, and it says that he went and he was with his wife and some friends, and there was a problem, because on the way home he had also, again, been encountered the joys of, in his mind of Mordecai, and how Mordecai did not respect him. You know, he could have everything, but this one Jew sitting and not bowing before him was eating him alive. It was driving him crazy. He couldn't stand it. So he went home and he complained to his wife and he complained to his friends. And they all discussed the matter of what needed to be done. Well, that night, the king had already gone to bed but couldn't sleep. 
And he was trying to sleep, but he, he couldn't. And so he woke up. And I don't know what you do when you can't sleep. Of course, probably all of you are much better off than me. I have the same problem sometimes. But uh, he, he went, couldn't sleep. So he woke up, and uh, he had uh, an opportunity to begin to read through some of the histories of the people there. You know, their histories, when I'm, what I'm talking about here, is something that was not unlike minutes of the day. Sort of the, you know, if you've ever been to a Baptist church, such as this one, we are famous, or infamous as the case may be, for our meetings. You know, if there's not a meeting, we will get a committee to call meetings. You know, we, you've got to have a meeting to have the meetings to, so you can talk about the meetings you had. And it's just, it's a Baptist thing. And... Um, so you've got, well, actually it's because we believe that every person has an opinion and every person's opinion is important. Uh, we have something called priesthood of believer, which is very, very important to us. And each individual makes his own decisions for what is done. And so you get this situation, though, where the king gets back and he says, I don't know, I can't sleep. So he has the histories read to him. And they have these minutes being shared with him of the days that have come through most recently. And what we find in there is suddenly this message jumps out that in the earlier chapters, around chapter 3, 2 and 3, we begin to see where a particular plot to kill the king had occurred and Mordecai had reported that via Esther to the king. And because of that, when Esther told the king, they were able to catch the people uh, that were originally planning on killing the king. Well, the result is... In the, in the record there, it showed that that had happened, but there had been no reward given. There had been no appreciation for the service rendered. And the result then, as we look, is that uh, the king has these, this history read to him, these minutes, and he asks the question to himself, well, is that fair? Is that right? Shouldn't something have been done? And he looks out and he sees Haman. You know, Haman's trying to figure out how he can come on in and complain to the king about these horrible Jews one more time and how he can make them be punished. But instead, the king talks to uh, Haman and he asks some questions. And the questions he asks are very generic. The questions are things such as, what does a, a, a person who is a good person deserve? What does a person that does something and tries to help you deserve? What should we get? Well, suddenly we begin to hear the response from Haman because Haman is assuming the questions must be about him. You know that in Chinese you've got this thing, Jing Ao Zhong Sam, put me at the middle of everything and then I'll look at the world. You know, and that's exactly what they're doing. Look, and brother and sister and I tell you, if we're not careful, we do the same thing. We look at the world from our viewpoint and how it impacts us. When I look at Haman, that's the lesson. I keep looking at a guy saying, he's not unusual. There are a lot of us that look at the world as if we're the center of it. And so Haman begins to look at the world through this, and he looks and he says, surely he's talking about... So he says, oh, that kind of a great person. You should give him a great horse, give him great clothing, give them a great party, have them just come in and the whole city and everyone respects them and, and celebrates their presence coming and going. They're so important. And then the king said, I think that's right too. Anyone that would do that and do such good things on behalf 
of the king deserves it. Now, since you're number two, and since I need you to go out and handle this, because this really is an important detail that I'm placing you on, go out and prepare all of those things for Mordecai. Now, he didn't finish the sentence, your mortal enemy. But you know that that's exactly what Haman thought. Because Haman realized immediately, oh, no, I have just set myself up. I have stood here and told him, give him everything, and now he's, he's saying it's not me. He's saying it for, that the king is saying this is for Haman. So he does his job. He has no choice. We're in a situation where the king says it and it happens. And so we, we see the things that are going on and, and we see how Haman's uh, become, his pride is beginning to backfire on his life. Uh, and, uh, and so he's already frustrated and feeling a sense of loss at that point. Then we go on through chapter 7 and into chapter 8, but chapter 7 that we begin to look and we see, you know, if, eventually it's time for the second banquet. Now, I don't know what Haman's attitude for the second banquet was, but he was probably a little flustered because already things weren't looking as great as he thought they were. So he goes to the second banquet and the king's there, and the king says, you know, and Haman's over there trying to decide, is this going to be a good day or a bad day? king says uh, to his wife, says to the queen, you know, uh, we've been here before, and I still say the same thing to you. I'll give you anything up to one half of my ownings, of those things that are mine. What are yours? They're all for you. If you ask for it, whatever you need, tell me and I will provide. Then we see, she says, just let my people live. See, all the way up till now, the king is yet to understand she is not of the same nationality as him. And she says, I'm a Jew. You have made a decree that all the Jews are going to be killed. And that will include me. Please, change your mind. And, of course, the king immediately said, what are you talking about? Now, of course, he had signed the papers. He had already agreed to it. But still, you know, who would have made such an evil plot? She, he hasn't got it all together yet that what he has done over here is exactly what Haman has done. And, and then she says, there is the person right there in front of you, Haman. And then it begins to come together. Oh. Haman's decree, the, the money that he gave me, all that was there, all of the, the, the things that have happened. And so the king at that point is just beside himself. And as we have read in the scripture just a few moments ago, the king walked out to take a break to try to cool down a little bit possibly. And in the meantime, we saw the reality. He came back into the room the, uh, the man, Haman, was down on the couch begging the queen and it looked like everything was even getting more absurd. And then the king said, you will be the one who will die instead of the Jews. So, our pride, our focusing on ourselves, our putting ourselves at the center of things is something that we as followers of God 
need to ask ourselves some serious questions about. When we focus on ourselves and we put ourselves at the center of everything and we spend so much time worried about how we're going to relate to different matters and different circumstances, frankly speaking, it's usually to naught. Ultimately, God is in charge. Be patient. God will take care of it on His own time. His time frame is not our time frame. This story, I would have liked for it to have been shorter and quicker. I would have liked for the first banquet, just walk in, say, he's the guy, get him. But it didn't happen that way. Esther realized that by stretching it out a little bit, it would give Haman an opportunity to think a little bit more, give him a chance to struggle a little bit more and to understand what was going on around him. The result was still the same, and the timing was just simply a bit different. In chapter 8, we can see that Esther saved the Jews by her actions. What we do, how we handle our lives, impacts the lives of others. You can't not impact the lives of others. You know, every time we don't share with others about the love of Jesus, we're impacting their lives. Indeed, we may be impacting their eternal lives. I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying it makes you feel like you uh, uh, have had the most exciting day in the world every time you open your mouth for Christ. Sometimes people make fun of you. Uh, and I can give you the story with that for what just happened for me. A couple of days ago, uh, you know, we've been here oh, for a total of a whole three weeks now. So we certainly know everything about Vancouver by now. Maybe not is the right word. So we're learning all the time. Believe me, I'm the most clumsy person in the world when it comes to understanding all that's going around me. But I do know that our world is not always welcoming of spiritual matters. And I watched, uh, we, we had a television uh, that we had uh, brought in to help us. We've, we've not had a television yet. We got one two, day, uh, two days ago. Put a television in, and we're really enjoying Channel 2 because it's the only channel we can get. Um, and so um, if you don't like hockey, you're in real trouble. But um, there was a channel in between all of the hockey games that had a, a, a very interesting dialogue that came on. And the dialogue didn't really surprise me. The dialogue was uh, discussing matters related to people, and it referred to people in the South. Now, I don't know where the South is, if that's South America, South Texas, South what, you know, but somewhere further south than Vancouver. And uh, they're a very superstitious following of uh, uh, Christian ideas and the idea that... Uh, that demons and Satan uh, and uh, the devil is real and all of those silly ideas that exist there. And it had a lot of comments related to that and they began to discuss the naivety of those who would follow that kind of thinking that sin is real. Of course sin is not real. What a silly idea. And it went after all of this discussion. It said, but of course we in, in the north, and I'm assuming that must be North Vancouver, I'm not sure, but um, we haven't even arrived. We're not even in North Vancouver. But anyway, North somewhere. 
that particular group much more progressive. So it was a them or us kind of thing. There were the ones that uh, were backward and awkward and superstitious, or those who are progressive and uh, creative and open-minded. And as I I listened to them discuss that, I thought, you know, uh, this is nothing new. This is something we've been hearing about for years. But the challenge is, how do we, as the superstitious, dumb, backward Christians, relate to a society that sees us that way? I'm not saying all of society sees us that way, but some. The challenge for us is to try to understand their perspective. And the challenge is also for us to dare to risk embarrassment or complaints or or different issues. You know, we, we don't have persecution in Canada. But we sometimes do have criticism. You can be laughed at. You can be put in certain positions. But we don't get put in prison. For, doing, for telling someone about Christ. But you certainly can be moved out of a certain position or a job sometimes. The question is going to be for us long term as believers, how important is it to us? In Esther's case and in Mordecai's case, this is a young woman. I think it's very interesting. A beautiful young woman. You know... I've got a friend of mine that sends me jokes. He loves to send me jokes about dumb blondes. Now, the reason I can mention that is because I don't think we have a whole lot of dumb blondes in here. Okay. But he, sends, he, just, he thinks they're the greatest jokes in the world, dumb blondes. And, uh, you know, one of the realities here is being beautiful doesn't make you dumb. This was a very pretty woman. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been ever selected as the queen. She took the place of Vashti, who was also a beautiful woman and also not dumb. They had character. They had opinions. They had thoughts. And my friend that sends me these these jokes, he always uh, has a good time with that because uh, he he thinks somehow that puts uh, the uh, women in their their particular uh, slot but and I think that's probably because his wife is a brunette. But we won't go into that discussion. But the, the point is, when we look at Esther and Mordecai, we see two individuals who are willing to risk their lives. And by risking their lives, they save the lives of a nation. You know, I, I know that we're in Canada And I know that we're fairly uh, isolated from the daily life of the Chinese in China. But you know, China's population is pretty significant. I've lived over there. 30 years in in that area of the world, believe me, uh, the the term Chinese uses is, is Chinese people on the mountains, Chinese people in the sea. Everywhere you go, people. One-fifth of the world's population, yellow skin, black hair, long dick chunyan, you know, they are there. We have to be concerned for them because God created them. 
We have to be associated and be concerned that they would have a chance to know Christ on that side. And we also need to be concerned here for our people here in Vancouver. We must be beyond our race in our faith and in our, our service to, the God, to God. Esther, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, we see very interesting things that happen because these people who had a plan to kill the Jewish people ended up being killed themselves. God flipped the situation entirely. And suddenly, in chapter 9, we see Mordecai taking over the position of Haman. Haman was the number two man in the nation. And suddenly, he, he as a Jew, we are talking about Mordecai at this point, took over Haman's position. And no one would have ever dreamed that Mordecai, a Jew, would have that opportunity to have that kind of a position. You know, in Hong Kong, many people have discussed, how is it possible that in Canada now, we've got people who are of Chinese descent, who are in major government positions. It's a very exciting thing for Hong Kong people to think about. That indeed, the, but now my perspective is, when one-fifth of your population in the world is Chinese, we better get used to it. It's going to happen everywhere. But the point is, God loves all of us. I sang a song when I was a young child, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. doesn't matter. When we immigrate, I've often said, what are we going to do when we get to heaven and everybody's green? You know, we won't be able to divide it. It's our faith that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our faith that allows us to come together as family. Esther and Mordecai had faith in God. They believed if they would be consistent, be bold, that God would direct their paths. They didn't know the answers. They didn't have a clear strategy that said, do this equals this. All they knew was, do this equals God will bless and lead and direct. Let's be patient and follow God. I don't know the future of VCBC. I don't know the future of our congregation. But I will tell you, if we'll be faithful, if we'll be bold, if we'll realize the importance of the lives of people around us, even to the point of risking our own reputations, our own conveniences, our own comforts, that God will respect us and He will use it for His good. My prayer for us today is that in every way we will be servant leaders as we follow Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we look at the testimony of Esther and Mordecai. We see two people who know you, walk with you, and are dependent on you. Father, I would ask that we would allow their testimony through their life to change us, to give us courage, give us excitement in serving you, and that you would do amazing things even with us as we serve you. In Jesus' name.